listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, you're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio with host Deb Wolf. And I have some bad news today. This woman was released by BC Corrections here in Vancouver, and they're warning the public she's likely to offend. Well, originally she got sent to prison, served her time, got parole because pr- probation because she had tortured and killed animals on videotape. Cats and dogs and commentated it, narrated it. And she'd also told people, she's a university student, her dorm roommates, one of them had passed out drunk and she told someone else she wanted to kill her and that she had fantasies about killing the homeless. So I want you all, if you live in Vancouver, anywhere near here, to have a look at this woman. Go online, figure it out, look at her. Kayla Bork, B-O-U-R-Q-U-E. She looks very innocent. Glasses, dark hair and braids, young, 23-year-old. She's very dangerous. Keep your animals, keep yourself away from her. Isn't that terrible? Well, we've got Dr. Carol on the show, and we made sure when we hooked up with her today that we left her emergency line open so all the pets can still get a hold of her clinic while we're doing the show. We've got Dr. Carol on to talk about homeopathy because there's been a big reversal lately, hasn't there, Dr. Carol? There certainly has. In fact, it was just this January uh, the American Veterinary Medical Association has initiated a resolution to the current laws with respect to homeopathic medicine in pets, and it was initiated by the Connecticut Veterinary Medical Association basically for the purpose of discouraging veterinarians from treating their patients with homeopathic remedies. So, okay, but before we get to the latest, because that's a big change, I know veterinarians who've done specialties in this, extra education after they've become veterinarians to get a specialty, you know, and certified. So I know that this is a big, big change, but let's talk a little bit. If people have never heard about homeopathy in pets, I know we've all heard of the allergy shot for kids, and that's kind of the most common way we come into contact with it, isn't it? That's exactly correct. So what happens with pets? Normally, when homeopathy is used, what, what's going on there? Well, the whole thing with homeopathy, and it's important to understand that, first of all, homeopathic medicines have been classified as drugs in the United States since they were included in the, quote, Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act all the way back in 1938. And that's part of the problem. But for people that don't have a good background on homeopathy, basically, it's a, a very, very, very old principle which works on the basis of like curing like. And what that means is that the diluted or homeopathic form of a compound can be very helpful in alleviating symptoms that the compound causes in its basic form. Now, that probably sounds confusing, but for example, the homeopathic remedy called Aethys mellifica is made from bee venom. So in its crude form, bee venom obviously causes itching, burning, and stinging pain. But in its homeopathic form, the Aethys helps to alleviate those exact symptoms. Occasionally, because the homeopathic remedy is in fact a very tiny diluted sample of the actual pathogen or disease-causing agent, it is possible that initially a homeopathic remedy can cause symptoms 
to worsen slightly for a temporary amount of time. And that can happen kind of like a vaccination as it is triggering the body's immune or curative response. Many vaccinations work by a very similar principle, which is that of injecting modified the forms disease, of the disease, right? The, you inject the disease. You inject a modified form of the flu or the chicken pox yeah, or exactly. whatever. Well, all the common vaccines that we think of for dogs, you know, distemper, hepatitis, leptospirosis, parainfluenza, and parvo, to name but a few, as well as for cats, rhinotracheitis, Khaleesi virus, those are just a couple. But even the vaccines, we've got traditional standard vaccines, and then we've also got homeopathic vaccines, which are called nosodes, N-O-S-O-D-E-S. And once again, depending upon who you, you speak to, there are studies that have been run showing, for example, on kennel cough, which is pretty popular at this time of the year, that the no-sode for kennel cough in one study that I reviewed showed superior results to the actual traditional vaccination. Okay, so, the- so here's where we get into, into the latest issue. For years, a lot of vets have been prescribing homeopathic treatments. Not every vet, but some. Some have been sending you to specialists when you get that untreatable, impossible rash or chronic ear infection or condition that just won't go away. Uh, They usually try with diet and allergies, and then after steroid, if the person doesn't want steroids chronically, they often end up using homeopathy. I think I've heard you talk about rescue remedy before. So where do you sit now when you've got a pet... Are you prescribing homeopathy? Were you? Are you still? I am what you would refer to as an integrative veterinarian. And and what that means is that I'm a traditionally trained Ohio State College of Veterinary Medicine graduate. And about 10 years into my practice, I realized that there was a void in traditional medicine, particularly in a lot of these chronic age-related conditions that older pets experience. And that's when I started doing further formal education, training, and research in the, the field of alternative medicine. And yes, I do continue to use homeopathic medicines and recommend them in conjunction with other alternative and traditional medications. For example, Box Rescue Remedy is probably one of the oldest, most well-known of the homeopathic remedies. It's available as little drops and also as, as a liquid, and it just sort of takes the edge off. It gives a very mild, calming, or sedative type effect, or, or even in, let's say you have an emergency or an acute incidence of trauma, you can give the pet a few drops by mouth. You can also rub these remedies on what we refer to as the pressure points, which would on a pet be the hairless area of the inner ear and also the hairless area around the groin. For liquids, you can just rub the medication onto the pressure points, and it works pretty instantaneously. Uh, You shouldn't drink food or water for about 10 minutes before or after. And for the medications that come as little pellets, you should wear plastic gloves, not to touch them with your hands because of the chance of deactivating their effectiveness. But I personally... You see uh, the results immediately when you do this? You got a stressed out animal immediately calms? You know, I can't say that in 100% of the cases, there's 100% effectiveness, but I don't also think that I could say that for the majority of traditional medications either, but I think that there are certain conditions in certain arthritic conditions, Arnica Montana, you know, is, is fabulous. 
we talked about aphis for stings, you know, and bites and, and itching. Our Seneca album, great for diarrhea. Carbo vegetabilis, it's made from charcoal, great to alleviate excess gas. Thuja is indicated to rub on warts and little skin sort of, you know, lumps and bumps. So there are some of these remedies, including box rescue remedy, that are very safe. They have no adverse effects and Although the AVMA is focusing on the fact that scientific clinical trials with absolute proof of clinical effectiveness are lacking both in the human and animal world, the reality is that for hundreds of years, these medications have been successfully used both in and of themselves and along with other alternative and traditional medications. And the beauty is that the cost is minimal, the side effects are almost unknown, they either work or they don't work, and normally the effect is within less than an hour. Dr. Carroll, can you give out your information in case people want to contact you, and then we're going to go to a quick break and come right back. Well, I'm Dr. Carol Osborne. I'm available online at carolonpets.com or www.drcarol.com. We also welcome pet lovers to call us. We offer answers to pet questions as well as detailed consultations. Our toll-free office phone is one 866 Dr. Carol, which is 866-372-2765. All right, everybody, so stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. We'll be back with more on homeopathy and Dr. Carol. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere, because the best is yet to come. Stick around. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get six dollars off your order of sixty dollars or more, and up to forty percent off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of forty nine dollars or more. Six dollars off, up to forty percent off, and free shipping. From Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. You're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. Welcome back to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with Deb Wolf, your host. And I'm here with Dr. Carol. 
And if you want to check out what I've been up to lately, there's a bunch of ways to do that. You can look on Facebook and see all the little puppies. Some have gone to homes, but some are still there running around in the snow. I took some pictures of them with some really cool toys. Really cool. From Go Dogs. And you see them sharing them and squeaking them and the two different size puppies. It's adorable. So that's Camp Good Dog on Facebook. You can check us out and see our campers up at camp here. And if you haven't seen dogs frolicking in snow this week, well, maybe you're somewhere sunny and you don't have to deal with snow. You can look at it. It looks great on a video. It's not so great on your wet feet. But check that out. Or you can go to dubwolf.net where I post shows. And oh, there's lots of other places. YouTube, I've got some free doggy videos up there too. So we're back with Dr. Carol and we're talking about homeopathy. And it used to be that a vet could go and take a specialist course, a couple of years worth, an apprentice somewhere or study at a university and get a specialist certificate and be recognized and get other vets to refer animals to him for, or her for something like uh, just an extra qualification in a hip surgery type of thing or, or in some cases homeopathy. And so now, I guess that's not happening anymore, is it? Well, that appears to be about to change primarily because of a paper or a report, if you will, uh, sent in by the American Veterinary Medical Association to revise the current guidelines for the use of homeopathic medications in pets, none of which are currently quote-unquote approved. And this new law or regulatory change was initiated by the Connecticut Veterinary Medical Association. What do you think is going on here? Well, it kind of makes me scratch my head. Certainly being concerned with giving a sick animal or an ill animal medications or therapies, which have in fact been proven to be effective. Obviously, that's what every pet owner wants. And for most of us as veterinarians, we seek to offer our patients the very best treatments available that will provide the quickest relief from whatever condition they may be suffering from as quickly as possible. What they are trying to say now is that there is an absence of a, quote, substantial body of scientific knowledge that they no longer recognize any type of homeopathic medication because it is a quote-unquote drug and drugs require clinical trials with proven efficacy for the intended use of that specific drug and those studies which are very, very, very expensive to run, they feel currently are lacking and they're taking use of those facts basically to try to discourage veterinarians and medical practitioners from using homeopathic medications at all. You know, now, it seems to me like this is the drug companies trying to just make sure that the rules that were set up to keep them honest are applied to everybody so they have no competition from the smaller players. Well, That's not only is like. this going on in the United States, but this is a global initiative also involving the European Board of Veterinary Specialties, the British Veterinary Association, Australian Veterinary Association, and the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association did not take every point to heart, but they are also tweaking their current policies. In addition, they're using feeding pets raw meat-based diets as another quote-unquote antidotal report saying that the bacterial pathogens present in raw meat, the risk outweighs the potential benefit of feeding any kind of a, a raw diet to your pet. So they're trying to take this 
several steps to be a very encompassing type of guideline. And what they're trying to say, although they're not providing any exact proof, is that there is evidence that direct harm from homeopathic remedies does occur, yet in this 32-page report, there was not one single example that was provided, which kind of makes you scratch your head when you understand that the basics and principles of homeopathy pretty much match those of our current vaccination strategy, which is giving a small dose of the actual disease-causing agent stimulates the body to produce protective substances that we refer to as antibodies that then build and boost immunity to fight off that particular agent. You know, there's a logic problem here, but I guess they defend it by saying, well, the vaccines, which of course they produce, the medical and pharmaceutical traditional companies produce, they would have probably argued that the vaccines have been tested and there have been controlled studies as opposed to these other homeopathic remedies. And I guess it's the, the role of the people who believe in homeopathy to defend it by saying those are the clinical tests that prove this because it's the same principle. That's what they have to get a court to recognize. That's a tough battle, though, when you've got a lot of money on the other side to fight. You know, that is a problem. You know, first of all is realizing that we've got a medical system, particularly within the United States, which is a disease-based model of medicine. It's not a preventative. The Europeans are much, much more geared towards preventative medicine, whereas America is much more geared towards focusing on the disease and the specific treatment for that disease. I think that the pharmaceutical companies, some of these huge pet food companies, and we're talking about billion-dollar corporate giants, it's more than likely that they may be behind this, encouraging the use of conventional drugs and therapies, um, some of which the cost is absolutely exorbitant, and trying to, in fact, uh, discourage the use and trending of natural therapies and at this point coming down very hard on homeopathic medicines. And although they continue to repeat the fact that we don't have controlled clinical trials with a body of clear evidence, in my research, I was able to find many, many, many published clinical trials indicating the validity with significantly, with very significant results, excuse me, in the favor of the particular homeopathic compound in question. So it's a two-tier defense that, first of all, there are clinical tests on the products as we're, as we're talking about, but also that by extension, because the principle is the same, the very vaccines they are flogging and, and they've proven, prove the point that homeopathy works. Because if it didn't work, the vaccines wouldn't work. So it should be arguable, but it's going to be costly and difficult. And I guess, I guess it was easier to attack it in the pet world than the human world, but I imagine it's going there next. or is already there, this battle. There are many battles currently going on right now being passed or not passed, if you will, through legislation with respect to the field, if you will, of alternative therapies. They've got bills in, in legislation as we speak to try to ban the use of vitamin supplements. Vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin B, for example, they would like you not to be able to purchase those things over the counter. Glucosamine and MSM, two popular remedies for a variety of arthritis, right now, yes, widely available over the counter. I want to ask you about this, just anecdotally, sort of. I mean, I know we're on radio, so I can't say off the record, but one thing I noticed back in the 90s, there was a kind of a 
a really popular trend in dog food manufacturing. They put glucosamine on foods and in foods, Nutros and Iams and some of the bigger brands. And a lot of my customers back then were, were feeding stuff they made themselves or supplementing. And they would go to the big box stores and buy these big giant bottles of glucosamine and with their vet's help, figure out how much to use. And they would open them up and pour the little powder because back then it wasn't so easy to get the way you can now. And anyway, they were giving their dogs a lot of glucosamine. And I noticed right away that these sort of old, arthritic, lazy, hardly care to whip, loved everybody but hung around a lot, dogs, limpy dogs, sore dogs, would all of a sudden be bouncing again and, and really active. But I also noticed that sometimes they were a little bit aggressive. Like they'd be, I don't know, it seemed, especially the female dogs, they would get too assertive, too aggressive. Is that something that's common with glucosamine or is that... What's going on there, Dr. Carroll? I don't think it's glucosamine specifically. I think that the behavioral change that you saw and interpreted it as aggression, remember, a change in your external behavior is often the first sign of a reflection of a change in your internal health. So when you're sick and you don't feel good and your bones and your joints are achy, you lay in the corner You don't say a word and you just hope that someone helps you. And then the first time you start to feel better and you get a little bit of relief, well then instead of being subdued and quiet and laying in the corner, you're standing up, you're speaking your word, and you're making the demands that you would like. And the dogs are doing that exact same thing. Their behavior or your interpretation as a little bit aggressive is just their way of saying, hey, I'm feeling pretty good now. Let's just get our program back in action. I don't want to lay in the corner anymore. I'm ready for a nice game of frisbee yeah and don't you dare take my frisbee like you did last week because i am back baby i am back that's the message i was getting it's like yay exactly and that's that's similar even with the pet vitamin supplement that i created and have patented called pause many of the changes that people would see with respect to a cognition or mental alertness with mobility skin and hair coat lean muscle mass energy attitude Many of these changes are not miracles. They are simply a result of the fact that the pause vitamin supplement provides the necessary ingredients that are missing in these commercial dog food diets, and it makes the dogs feel worlds better, which is reflected by a positive change in their personality and behavior, just as you interpreted change when you saw pain relief from just giving glucosamine. I've seen pain do other things too, and maybe we should talk a little bit about that. I remember I had this Mastiff come in, a really huge, massive dog, and it had always been a girl dog. Forget her name now. She'd always been friendly with everybody, came here for vacations, didn't have a care in the world, and all of a sudden the owner sent her here for a week of anti-aggression training, and I thought, what the heck's going on? She loves everybody. What are you talking about? Comes here. It is like going off. It sees other dogs. It's snarling. Its face is all wrinkled. Its back's all up. It's totally going off. It's not even near them. And I'm thinking, what is going on with this dog? Well, sure enough, I brought it out with some dogs it used to like, and I kept them away and leashed and held by others. And I could see its whole demeanor. It was just standing there hoping no one would touch it. You could just see <laughs> it was thinking, you know, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. Just trying to shrink almost. And um, I told them, you got to take this dog to the vet. There's something wrong. And sure enough, it had a condition that made it experience pain through its whole body. Degenerative condition. I forget the name of it now. Nothing they could do about it except get it on meds quick. And it wasn't the dog's fault. It just hurt. 
Every time any dog bumped into her or touched her, it hurt. And no wonder, right? And so I think sometimes we ignore these things and we think, oh, she's just old and bitchy or, oh, that's bitchy twitchy the cat or that's just snarky the dog. No, they're not supposed to be like that, right? That's exactly correct. And it's a great idea, a super topic, you know, for another time, just the complete topic of aggression, why dogs are aggressive, what you can do, what your veterinarian can do, and understanding the different forms and types of aggression. And always when you see a behavioral change, the first thing you want to do is see your veterinarian and make sure that that behavioral change is not a result of some type of an internal medical problem. Once the internal health has been given the green light, so to speak, then if we still have problems with aggression, then it's time to see a professional behavioralist who can help you take the necessary steps to curb that. You know, and if you're sitting here thinking, oh, I don't want to run to my vet all the time with every little thing. Okay, well, there are resources out there. I've got some great, there's a cat owner's home veterinary handbook and a dog owner's from uh, Deb Eldridge, but there's a whole bunch of them. You can do a rudimentary exam. You can check your dog's temperature. You can look in their ears. You can do a few things that'll kind of rule it out because I'd say I can't believe how many times I run into a dog. I'm sitting at Starbucks. It comes up to me. I go to pet it. It turns its head abruptly telling me, don't pet my left ear, please. And I look at the person like, don't you know he has an ear infection? And no, they don't. They have no idea. Well, eventually that dog's going to bite somebody who touches that ear, right? And that's a great example. One of the best things that a pet owner can do is take five minutes a day and really look at your pet. You know, look at his eyes, sniff his ears, make sure that there's no foul odor coming from the mouth. Take your hands and run them over your pet's body from top to bottom. Make sure there's no lumps or bumps, no irregularities. And whether you're checking for fleas or or lice, other parasites, wounds, abscesses, and things like that, you can detect them quickly and then promptly address them with your veterinarian. And remember that an ounce of prevention is always worth far more than a pound of cure when your pet's health is concerned. You know, when we talk about that, okay, so ear infection is the most common thing that I get. Okay, the next common thing I get when I'm out and about and I meet dogs or dogs checking in here and I think, don't you know, the next one is something to do with the grooming. Like they've got mats behind the ears that are tangled so badly that they're pulling the skin off and there's blisters and there's old sores and there's dried, itchy spots. And, or same thing on the groin area. Some kind of grooming thing that the people, nails are too long, something like that. And then the third thing I get most often is the dog where they go, oh, don't go near his mouth. His breath stinks. You know, well, why does his breath stink, right? That's a big question they should be asking, right? Well, that's a big thing. It's also another one of those little stumbling blocks for a lot of these older pets because the veterinarians that require full general anesthesia, some of these pets are, you know, 10 to 15 years old. Well, sure, it's great to have clean teeth, but in certain cases, the risk of anesthesia outweighs the benefit of the potential dental. Well, hang on, everybody. We're going to go to a commercial break, and we're going to come back and tell you what to do. If you've got an old dog or cat and you don't want it going under, but it does have a stinky mouth, Dr. Carol will tell you what to do. Stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with Deb Wolf. Don't leave this party before it's over, because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. 
or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radial root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Hi, this is Tim Link, host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join me as we feature interviews with best-selling pet-related authors, award-winning writers, journalists, and bloggers. And we'll tell stories about the animals and interesting topics about the animals in our lives. Each of the interviews will give you a first-hand knowledge about why the authors and writers chose a particular story, what the feature animals meant to them, and what has become of those animals that we've talked about. And of course, I'll also share stories from my own books, blogs, articles, and experiences. So be sure to join me and the writers and authors on Animal Rights. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. You're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello. We're back on Animal Party with Pet Life Radio. And I'm your host, Deb Wolf. And with me now is Dr. Carol. And she's about to tell you if your dog's breath stinks. Now, okay, some breeds have stinkier breath than others. Poodles in particular. They don't shed a lot. There's a little bit of an odor there. You got to know your dog. But if all of a sudden your dog stinks more than usual, not good, right? That's exactly correct. And there's so many easy ways that, that you can maintain your pet's oral hygiene so that the teeth, the gums, the dental health is, is what it should be. Whether you brush the teeth once a day, there are a variety of pet toothpaste available through the veterinarian online as well as over the counter. There are also a variety of rinses and gels that are quite effective and help quite a bit. And there are also dentals that can be given. The laws vary from state to state, but certain veterinary technicians offer anesthesia-free dentals, and they even come to your house to provide that service for your pet. So pet owners need to check the laws. You can Google that and look from state to state, see what the laws are in your state, and think twice before putting a senior pet under anesthesia for something that's not absolutely critical. Now, I sort of talked about grooming a little bit. If your dog or cat does not like being groomed, that's a problem. That's because you didn't do it enough when it was young or it's got serious mats and tangles and and it hurts. So you may need to send it out for one professional groom first, maybe. But usually if you work cornstarch in, you just get it from the grocery store and work it in really, really well with the mats and brush it out carefully. You do it a little bit at a time. You don't go for the cat's underside or bum until you've got a lot of trust. Same for the dog. You go for the parts they offer you. You go the pressure they offer you. You end before they're 
fed up and you do it often until they're letting you groom them. That's how you teach a cat or dog to be groomed. I actually had a really funny incident with one of my cats the other day. I have a two-sided brush and he likes the spiky hard side, but my daughter likes to use the soft side. And so she was brushing him all over with the soft side and he actually grabbed the, the brush out of her hands, flipped it over and put it back in her hands like, hey, I like the spiky side. And then he starts rubbing against the spiky side at the pressure he likes, which is much harder than she likes, just to say, you know what? Do it rough, do it rough. Cats and dogs should want to be brushed, and you should want to brush them, right? You know, that's exactly right. I mean, at a very minimum, most healthy dogs, remember, they shed twice a year in the spring and the fall. Remember that skin disorders, dietary imbalances, as well as hormonal fluctuations all affect hair growth and shedding cycles. For people that have dogs with very long, thick hair coats and you're not able to see the groomer every four to six weeks and keep that skin and hair coat in proper condition, consider just having your pet shaved. It makes, for example, a golden retriever kind of look like a Labrador retriever. You use a blade called a 7F, and the F stands for finishing. They come out, they look really cute. You can shave them down in the spring. That way you invite hot spots. They look like puppies. That's what they look like. They look like they did when they were puppies. They lose their feathers. Yeah, they look really cute. And by the fall, the hair coat has grown back out so that it provides ample protection to keep them warm during the winter climate. And... For those of you living in the winter climate, remember that the coat must be free of mats and tangles and burrs in order to insulate the pet and provide the warmth and protection from the weather that it's supposed to. I have a great relationship with this woman named Maureen from Success Dog Grooming. And if I didn't, I would just curse the poodles in their coats. But as it turns out, her dogs come here to play and get trained and spend time when she goes on holiday. And I get to send my poodles there. So they get shaved like little sheep, so, so tight all summer long. And then they grow out like rastas in the winter. And it's the perfect situation for them with the climate here. you got to consider your climate more than fashion, I think, when you're, when you're grooming your dog. You know, climate, is, climate is critical. And, and one thing that sometimes pet owners forget is don't forget about your pet's feet, particularly your dog's feet. When I say that, I'm referring specifically to foot pads and to toenails. Toenails need to be trimmed at least once a month. And you want to be sure that there should not be excessive hair between the toes or between the foot pads so that when you pick up your dog's foot and look at the bottom of it, it shouldn't be all covered in fur. You should see those foot pads. That helps dogs to get a good footing. Uh, It's particularly important in your older arthritic animals that are having a little bit of trouble getting up and balancing themselves because they are suffering from aches and pains in their joints. So that's one of the most common things that I tell pet owners wondering how to help it get the dogs up and moving is to make sure the nails are trimmed, make sure the foot pads are clean, particularly in the winter, salt and a lot of the de-icing products. Yeah, because it balls up, right? Hair between the toes. They got a lot of hair between their toes. It balls up between the toes and it hurts. And sometimes the toenails crack and they'll crack right above the quick. And believe me, that's a painful situation. Yeah, well, you know, I used to have these Bichon Frises that came to camp every year. And when it was snowy, you'd send them out in the snow and they loved the snow and they would run and run and run and run and run. And then all of a sudden they'd sort of stop moving because it would ball up on them until they couldn't move at all. And then I would go and I'd pick them up and take them inside and put them down and it would all melt. And then they go back out again. Yeah. <laughs> and that's another great thing to remember. If you live in a wintertime climate, you can keep a little plastic squirt bottle of water right by the front door and just squirt their feet 
when they come in from being outside, it helps to remove the salt and the caustic chemicals, which can be very irritating and actually cause problems. For people in the summer that have pets with atopy, which is allergies caused by a lack of genetic immunity, you can take a squirt bottle, fill it half with distilled water and half with rubbing alcohol, spritz your pet's feet off when they come inside, and what does that do? It helps to remove the dander and the allergens that they pick up in the grass. Which helps you in your house and, and everybody. Which not only helps you in your home, but it helps to stop those pets that are licking and chewing at their feet constantly so that particularly on a white-colored pets, you get that sort of rust-colored stain to the fur, and that's the actual protein from the saliva because they lick and lick and lick because they just can't seem to find relief. And on a lot of these dogs that itch and itch and itch, Roos, R-H-U-S, Tux, T-O-X, Roost Tox, the strength is 6C. It's a homeopathic remedy. It's not labeled for itching or scratching, but for many pets, it works like a charm. You can give it up to three times a day, and for five bucks, it's worth a try because it avoids the steroids, and it's been very effective for many of these dogs that suffer from itching and allergies. Do you realize you just gave out a homeopathic remedy suggestion on a show where we announced that the AVMA no longer recognizes homeopathy? I did. And and again, I give homeopathic remedy recommendations out with discretion. I recommend those that I have found to be effective in helping the particular animal with the particular condition, such as Arnica or box flower remedy. Those remedies are just, in my opinion, absolutely wonderful, extremely cost-effective, and you've got nothing to lose from trying them. One of the things you mentioned was about hair loss, and I want to say that it's true, the thing about the pet shedding twice a year in, in most climates, but one thing I noticed, and it really hit home because we all hear about, oh, stress ages you. Stress causes your hair to fall out, and you think, yeah, it doesn't really. Well, if you've ever taken an animal, especially a nervous animal, to the vet and put it on that metal exam table, watch the hair fall out. It's amazing how much they stress, and that's something... That's a key sign. If your animal, when you're training it, if you're walking a dog and you're training it, it's a food hound and all of a sudden it won't take food, it's not going to be receptive to training right at that moment. It's stressed out. If you're dealing with some kind of fear, that's not the time. You need to get it into a more comfortable situation. And the same is true about picking a groomer. I talked about Maureen at Success Dog Grooming. I love her. One of the reasons I love her is because the animals I bring to her, especially after their first time there, they're happy to go there. They want to go in. Even the nervous ones. I can tell the difference between their total terror and their usual skittishness. You know, like I can tell when they're happy to go in somewhere. They walk in, they're happy to be there, they're happy to visit her, they're happy to see her, they greet her, they want her touching them. You can see them lean into her. That's important because if you've got a groomer where the dog's shying away from them and he doesn't want to go in, you got to try somebody else. Yeah, it's their way of talking to you and saying, hey, this isn't working out really well for me. And that's something when you get a puppy, don't wait for a year to take that puppy to a groomer. Start on it right away, at least by 12 weeks of age. The puppy should practice standing on a table. Practice, even if you just use your hand or a little glove to start rubbing the puppy's body, take your finger, rub it inside the upper and lower gums so they get used to having their mouth worked on. The same thing with the ears, touch them and handle them. And particularly with those feet, Pick up each foot, separate the toes, look in between them, and the areas that your pet is most sensitive about, 
those are the areas when you're at home snuggled up on the sofa, go ahead and take a few minutes and just reach your hand down to the foot or down to the tip of the ear, feel it and rub it and let your pet get used to the fact that we need to be able to touch and handle the various parts of his or her body so that primarily Mm -hmm. we can properly care and medicate them, you know, when this situation arises. I think what you just said really applies to dogs. You know, a lot of dogs have ticklish feet. And if you don't touch your puppy's paws and pads and toes and nails all the time, once a day, every day, every week, he will have ticklish feet. He will not want them touched. He will, he will be a pain in the butt when you have to trim his nails. So you might need to use food if you're starting late. you got a rescue dog. You might need to trim a nail, give a piece of liver. Trim another nail, give a piece of liver. After you've done a paw, then the next paw, do the whole paw, give a piece of liver. Do the whole paw, exactly. give a piece of liver. But that's the kind of thing you might have to do. you got to get him to think it's okay to have my paws touched. With cats, though, it's not those regions. You probably won't have any trouble at all with the paws and the ears. But what about the bum and the underbelly? That's the cat's little private zone, isn't it? And that's a great point to mention uh, for people that like to do home grooming, especially in the breeds with long hair coats. You want to make what we call a poop shoot. And what that means is if you've got your clippers, you want to use about a 10 blade, you want to trim that excess hair from under the anal area, which helps to promote good hygiene, cleanliness, as well as it helps to prevent problems. And for people living in warm, humid climates, like Florida, for example, remember that flies love to lay eggs in fur. That goes for the larvae, which are maggots, will live on and burrow into the flesh. Uh, They can cause life-threatening infections. Um, Shelties and collies, as well as English sheepdogs, with that very long, thick fur, are especially prone. So just... Keep it clean, keep it sanitary. You know what else, though? I mean, aside from that, even if you don't live in an area like that, the dogs, like my poodles in between haircuts, I always trim that region. I always keep it short. Same with their feet and their mouth, because that's where you get the mess. Your dog, your house, everything will be so much neater if he's not dragging along a huge glop of fur with his feet in and out of the muck. And the same with his face. If he's not sticking a big walk of hair into the toilet, if you let him, or the drinking bowl, and then coming over to cuddle you. If it's, if it's nice and trim, it's going to be neater, isn't it? It absolutely is. Before bathing, if, if your pet has got lots of mats and tangles, you want to make sure and brush as many and remove as many of the mats and tangles as you can prior to getting that dog wet and bathing him or her because mats are twice as hard to get out once your pet is wet. You also yeah, want to remember true. to lubricate your dog's eyes. You can use artificial tears or a drop of vitamin E oil. You can apply to each eye so that suds don't get in the eyes. And as far as protecting the ears... A cotton ball works great. You want to do two shampoos, leave your second set of suds on for five to ten minutes. It helps you to get the most residual action you can, particularly with medicated shampoos. And if you use a conditioner, use it sparingly and make sure that the final rinse is squeaky clean. You know, one thing I like to do is I take my old car brushes, the ones I used to brush off the snow, and I nail them so they're going up and down ways. And I put them next to the doors outside. And what happens is my cats will actually, or inside, my cats will actually rub against them and rub against them and rub against them. And they almost groom themselves. I go around and vacuum them once a week, get all the fur off them. And it's surprising how well used they are. So, I mean, sometimes pets really, really want to be groomed and I think people people overlook it. It should be a time when you really enjoy your pet and your pet enjoys you. And the 
starting sooner is always better than starting later. That applies to cats as well as dogs. And for people that may be out there pet shopping as we speak, if you are the kind of person that has a very active and busy lifestyle and you're wondering what kind of a pet works with my current business schedule, remember, the bigger the pet and the longer the fur, the higher the maintenance and the more frequent intervals that maintenance, be it grooming, et cetera, is going to be required. So choose your breed based on several factors, personality being first in my book, but don't forget all the things that are required to maintain that particular animal, and grooming is one of the big ones to remember. Yeah, grooming is a big deal. I'm not sure I agree so much on that generalization about size, though, because when I think of the tiny, tiny, what they call teacups, which is so unfortunate, they are really costly, and they need a lot of care. They're just too small for life. And then I think of, you know, they have all these special toy needs and special toy issues, breathing issues and medical problems. And then I think of uh, the difference between like a medium poodle and a standard poodle. I actually think the medium poodle requires a lot more. The standard poodle's more of a go run hard and then lay around the house kind of a dog than the medium poodle who's sort of peppy, peppy, peppy. But I see what you mean about the grooming. The grooming is probably half again the cost for the bigger guy. So the cost is- uh, It's a function of how much hair there is and how much time it takes. With respect to larger dogs, you know, requiring more and more and more, just something to think about. For example, your pet gets sick, you, you go into the veterinarian, and we give out antibiotics, which are dosed based on body weight. Once again, the more you weigh, the bigger the dose of antibiotics you would require, and hence, the larger your bill is going to be that particular day at the veterinarian. So when That's I was relating cost as a function of size, for sure. um, that's kind of from a veterinary yeah. standpoint. And food um, also, I guess. And then the ease of which you can ask people favors for things. But I also find there's a temperament thing. Like to get someone to look after your easygoing Labrador retriever is going to be easier than your barkaholic Jack Russell. So size doesn't always matter. Attitude matters too, right? You know, in my opinion, as a pet owner, as well as a veterinarian for over 20 years, Personality is the number one most important factor when it comes to what's essential for a pet. I just cannot overemphasize the value of a great personality. And personalities vary with the breed, which is why in some cases going to your local shelter is a great choice. A lot of these mixed breed dogs are so happy to have a new home. One thing I want to add about mixed breeds is for years I was saying that, you know, and I used to have to say anecdotally because I had no proof, when you meet a mixed breed, what you see is what you get. If you see a dog that looks mostly lab and it has webbed feet and a round mouth and floppy ears and a solid color and, and he fetches like a lab and he walks like a lab and he swims like a lab, he's going to be mostly lab. Well, I was talking to Dr. Stan Korn on a show about this very thing and he said, you know what? The facts are finally in. They've got scientific studies to back it up that in mutts, literally what you see, both with temperament, though, as well as looks. You have to actually observe the dog for a while. But what you see is what you got. The signs come out in the visual. They did the genetic testing of the dog, and then they compared, and, they, you know, and so I'm so relieved to tell people that, because you can go to a shelter and know what you're getting. Okay, everybody, we've been talking to Dr. Carol. You got her numbers earlier. You can find her, Dr. Carol, or you can listen to shows with me and Dr. Carol on this network, Pet Life Radio. We're going to come back and do another one on it on aggression 
How about aggression and fear? Let's do a show on that because people always want to make a big distinction between them. And I think that's like trying to divide up the colors in a rainbow. They're all on the same spectrum, but we'll talk about aggression and fear. They do indeed. And in fact, behavioral problems, primarily those related to aggression, are some of the leading causes of why these pets are euthanized. So that's a great, great topic that we can cover in a future in a future segment. Okay, everybody. Happy New Year from me, Deb Wolf, Dr. Carol. We'll be back on a future show. Be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.